Hello and welcome to a feathery edition of Frequently Unasked Questions. As always, I am your resident historian, Michaela Springer, joined by my best friend and co-host, Becca Masick. Hey, Becca, how you doing? I am good. I'm very excited for today's episode. And I'm a little yawny, so if I yawn, just disregard me. So, are you ready for today's episode? Yes. Okay. Today's episode is called Never Underestimate an Emu. Okay. There's only one thing that I know a little – not – I don't know anything about it, but I've heard of it that would involve history and emus, and it's the Emu Wars of Australia. But I don't know any of the details about it, but that's what my guess is that today's episode's about. You got the title. That's that's what we're talking about. Yes. Finally. I got my little emu Uggs. Or not emu Uggs. I got my emu shoes on right now to keep me warm. So that's fun. <laughs> because topical. They're, well, because my sister ordered the wrong size and then <laughs> forgot to return them. So now I have them. Perfect. You know, it all works out. Exactly. You know that there was a war between Australia and emus. Is that all you know? Okay, honestly, I didn't even – wasn't even sure if it was between actual emus because you know how sometimes they just name wars after things? So I wasn't sure if it was like a war between, you know, the colonists and the indigenous people or or what, but it was a war between the people and the actual birds? hmm And if you don't know history, this sounds like something out of the onion. It really does. Like this, uh, this sounds like an onion article, but I promise it is all a hundred percent historically accurate. I got to dig into Australian newspaper archives, so that was fun. I love I love archival research, but <laughs> legitimate, legitimate thing that happened. They they just fought the birds. Mm-hmm. Today we are going to answer the age old question: Who would win, the Australian Army armed with two machine guns? Or 10,000 flightless birds? And the answer is the birds. I, oof, all right. Not looking good for the Australians. <laughs> Have you ever met an emu? Um, Not in person, but I know that they're huge. I once got emu eggs when I was in like second grade from my grandma, and those things are massive. So I know mm-hmm. the birds are huge and they're fast. That's what I know about them. And they got beady little eyes that are terrifying <laughs> i i don't judge australia poorly for losing this war because i would also lose a war to this bird <laughs> so here's a quote from major meredith that was posted in the sun herald on july 5th 1953 so this is about 30 years after the war and he said If we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They're like Zulus, who even dum-dum bullets could not stop. Okay, so it sounds like they tried to shoot them and it didn't work. It went horribly. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Now, to start... The history of the Emu War. We have to look at the end of World War One and the return of Australian soldiers and the Australian Soldier Settlement Scheme, which scheme is such a fun word because everything just sounds <laughs> slightly evil, but it wasn't. It was schemes can be good, apparently. <laughs> 
Following World War I, Australia faced a new problem, and that was soldiers returning home from war with no available work. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that the reason why there was no available work is probably for the same reasons uh, in the U.S., is that the women adjusted to the workforce mm-hmm. during this time and then were unwilling to relinquish this. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if Australia had the same gender inequality that the United States did. From what I've been told, um, Australia and the U.S. function politically and socioeconomically very similarly. So okay. probably it's safe-ish to say that whatever was kind of going on in the U.S. at the time was more than likely mirrored in Australia. Probably. Okay. I know that they had a small hat pin epidemic about a year after the United States did. Mm. But if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Following World War One, the Australian government began the soldier settlement scheme across all the Australian states and eventually gave approximately 5,030 soldiers plots of land that they were able to convert into working farms, primarily to cultivate wheat and sheep. Cool. That's that's nice of them. Well, uh, yes, but no. By September 1920, the government had purchased 90,000 hectares. Hect- hectares? 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 Like acres of land? Well, I think it's a I think it's a certain measurement. <sighs> and of course, I didn't Google how big this is because so one hectare is equal to 2.471 acres i'm pretty sure it's hectacre Um, is it spelled the same way google says no interesting well so it's it's h-e-c-t-a-r-e-s oh i've always seen it spelled as hectacres that's funny oh you know all of my research spelled as hectare which is why i was like did i spell this wrong (laughs) in the notes no so it's hectare okay (laughs) Uh, yeah. By September 1920, the government had purchased 90,000 hectares for the veterans, but more was still required. So they had purchased close to 200,000 acres. Yeah. For Americans who need, you know, I don't know if hectare is an American unit or not. Not. We do our own thing. (laughs) Yeah, we just do whatever. So with more land required, the government began to relocate soldiers into marginalized areas of Perth in Western Australia. Okay. Now, do you know anything about the topographical layout of Australia? I know that on the eastern side, you've got like Sydney and then you've got... Oh, you're giving me geography. Well, I'm just getting there. Yeah, for topography. Yeah, so you've got like coastal... And then you've got the big nothing in the middle, and then you've got the western part. <laughs> so by relocating to Perth, um, what I gathered is that it, this was not a good idea because Perth was not the best place to establish a farm due to general poor land quality. Hmm. Interesting. So they picked the worst land hmm. to farm. Well, that just sounds like the government, though. We're going to give this to you, but it's also going to be, like, the worst possible option. (laughs) Soldiers had been promised subsidies for wheat, but they were never followed through by the government, and wheat 
prices begin to drop in 1929. Now, I'm sure you know this, Becca. I, I hope you do. And if not, we're going to cover it next episode. <laughs> what happened in 1929? The Great Depression. Oof. That makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this kind of leads into why emus were such a problem for the soldiers. Now, until 1922, emus were classified as a protected species in Australia. Okay. So, like, you couldn't hunt them. You couldn't do anything to them. Mm-hmm. They are on the Australian coat of arms. Oh, that's kind of cool. I'm pretty sure it's emus and kangaroos. The best fighters in Australia. I get it. There we go. The best fighters in Australia. (laughs) Uh, And in 1922, they had started to become a nuisance to wheat farmers by flattening crops, eating them down to a stub, and then knocking over fences that were intended to keep rabbits out. Aww. They were like, hey, nothing was growing here, and now you guys are growing stuff, and we're going to eat it, okay? (laughs) Not okay. Well, yeah, apparently the people didn't think so. Well, it's because they were, one, they were eating the crop, and then they were knocking over fences, and rabbits are a problem in Australia, and Mm -hmm. they were letting the rabbits in. Just nature working together. So for all of these reasons, this led the Australian government to reclassifying emus as vermin and thus huntable. Huh, interesting. And then by 1932, there were roughly 20,000 emus causing havoc to these ex-soldier farms. Oh my gosh, that's like a lot of emus. It's a lot of emus. This caused the former soldiers to call upon the Minister of Defense, Sir George Pierce, rather than the Minister of Agriculture, because they felt like the birds had declared war on the farmers. That means that a whole group of people had to get together and they were like, look, we've got this pest problem, but they're big pests and they've declared war on us. You know, good old Minister of Agriculture isn't going to be able to do anything about that. We need the Minister of Defense. We need <laughs> the guy who led us through World War One. To take care of these emus. (laughs) And he led them, but not to victory. (laughs) So Sir George Pierce granted 10,000 bullets, two Lewis machine guns, plus the expertise of two gunners and Major George P.W. Meredith. He really was like, take these machine guns and kill these birds. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. So for context, Major GPW Meredith was of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery and like had served in World War I. He was appointed as the leader of this campaign. And on November 2nd, 1932, the war with the emus officially begun. <laughs> this guy comes back from World War I and immediately... Not immediately, like several years later. Was it, you know, 10 years difference. But he comes back, he's a highly decorated war veteran. He gets a call and they're like, we need you to serve your country once more. And he's like, great, I'll do it. What's going on? And they're like, look, we need you to kill the emus. <laughs> what do you think was greater shell shock? The trenches of World War One. <laughs> Or staring into those beady eyes of the emus. I bet he was, like, seriously wishing he was fighting some Germans again. 
Probably. <laughs> the first campaign started on November 2nd, and a few days into this first campaign, the Australians had planned an ambush by a dam and failed miserably when one of the Lewis machine guns jammed. Oh no. They later attempted to mount a machine gun onto a truck to chase the birds, but that also failed when the truck was unable to keep pace with the birds due to the terrain. I mean, I'm telling you, they're fast little fuckers. The gunman was also too busy holding on to shoot any of the birds. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. That's just a funny image. Within a week of this first assault, the troops were recalled. <laughs> roughly roughly 2,500 rounds had been fired, killing somewhere between 50 to 200 emus. That's a very inexact number. That's a quarter of their ammunition. Yeah. And there were, what, 20,000 emus? To kill. Uh-huh. Yeah, at least. Yeah, that they were trying to get rid of. And they killed at most 200. Yikes. The second campaign was on November 13th of 1932, where 40 emus were killed. And a month later, it was reported that an additional 100 emus were being killed every week. However, Meredith did the math, and it took about 10 bullets to kill one emu. Oh my gosh. This was later confirmed by official statistics. Wow. They just would not die. No. While there were no casualties on the Australian side, besides that one machine gun, the emus suffered 986 casualties out of 20,000, and the Australian soldiers used 9,860 of the allotted bullets to give an exact 10 to 1 ratio. These guys couldn't even kill 1,000 emus. They couldn't even, like... No. Make it to a thousand to put a dent in the 20,000 emus they were trying to kill. <laughs> and the resilience of the emus was noted by soldiers at the time. So, a, a quote from a recruit stated The emus have proved that they are not so stupid as they are usually considered to be. Each mob has its leader, always an enormous black plumed bird standing fully six feet high who keeps watch while his fellows busy themselves with the wheat. At the first suspicious sign, he gives a signal, and dozens of heads stretch up out the crop. A few birds will take fright, starting a headlong stampede for the scrub, the leader always remaining until his followers have reached safety. So they had, like, tactics. This man is describing a flock of birds. Yeah, but they were, like, tactical. These birds were labeled as cunning adversaries by the Australian government, and they apparently realized pretty quickly what the range of the machine gun was and stayed right outside of it. That's smart. That's some smart birds is what that is. Right. I mean, like I said, I, I don't judge the Australians for losing this war. Right. I mean, I judge them a little I, bit, but... I don't. I've, I've looked an emu in the eyes and in that moment i stared death in the eyes <laughs> i'm also afraid of birds but that doesn't seem important yeah that's not we don't need to mention that one emu proved so difficult to kill that only a car managed to do the trick yeah i guess that would wouldn't it a long victim rendered himself such a nuisance all the way until the end that his corpse wound up getting tangled in the steering equipment of the military vehicle which was which caused the vehicle to veer off course 
and destroy half a length of somebody's fence. Wow. During the post-mortem of this particular <sighs> emu, because yes, that's a thing, they discovered six bullets in the bird. Wow. This bird was shot six times, and the only thing that caused him to die was he got run over by a car. <laughs> Oof. To be as sturdy as an emu. It's the dream. That's the dream. Murray Johnson recorded in the Journal of Australian Studies that when one New South Wales state labor politician inquired whether a medal was to be struck for those taking part in this war, his federal counterpart in Western Australia responded that they should rightly go to the emus, who have won every round so far. Did the emus get the medals? No, emus oh, didn't okay. get medals. I would have put one on the corpse of the one that was run over by the car and given it a military burial. <laughs> could you imagine? So Australia also has a Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, I believe. But could you imagine, like, this is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and this is the Tomb of the Emu. <laughs> Commemorating our greatest adversary. In conclusion, the government decided to provide locals with ammunition and place a bounty on emus, and during a six-month period in 1934, some five or some 57,034 emus were killed. So the citizens did a better job than the military did. It sounds like. I mean, over a longer period of time, but still. Yeah, I yeah. So yeah, it it was a six-month period as opposed to I believe like a month and a half long period. Yeah. But still, they managed. The Australian military did not kill a thousand. And just these rogue, not rogue, but these random citizens managed to kill close to 60,000. Yeah. Wow. And then between 1945 and 1960, a further 285,000 emus were killed in Western Australia. Oh, wow. Western Australia continued to pay a bounty until wild emus came under the protection of federal legislation, federal legislation, to protect biodiversity in 1999, and their numbers are believed to be higher than before European settlement. Wow. The emu population in modern Australia is estimated to be around 600 to 700,000, and they have been reclassified as of least concern. On the endangered species list or on the pest list? Yeah. Oh, on the endangered species list. I'm pretty sure on the pest list they're still pretty high. (laughs) the australians fought a war against giant birds and lost to be fair to be fair to the australians i think the emus are like the closest to the raptors that we're ever gonna find really i think i mean australia has two large and terrifying birds they have the emu which they lost a war to yeah but they also have what is it the the cassowary that sounds right cassowary that's what it's called ah emus are terrifying i think i've made that stance pretty clear but the cassowary is also a terrifying bird basically australia could go to war with any animal that's native there and lose and i would go that makes sense yeah no that's that's completely fair Look at this thing. Yeah, that's terrifying. That looks like a turkey mixed with a vulture, mixed with an emu, and it's scary. Mm Mm-hmm. So Becca may judge the Australians for losing this war, but I don't. I only judge them slightly 
and only because if your enemy learns your tactics, you change your tactics. And they didn't. They put zero effort That's into true. trying to defeat the emus. I mean, they put a lot yeah. of effort into it, but they didn't put any thought. That's where the judgment comes from. They're poor military tactics. I don't know what I would have called this episode. It's just so ridiculous that any title any title that you could have given it would have made it sound unreal. I mean, it just doesn't sound like it's a real thing that happened in history, you know? Right. It's It sounds, like I said, it sounds like an article from The Onion. Yeah, 100%. I... Let's think. Mm, so the only thing that I, I'm kind of leaning towards is like um, um, like a, a WWA type thing. Like, <laughs> like WWA or WWE? WWE. Thank you. I knew I had the wrong vowel. I just couldn't think of <laughs> what it was um, where it would be like um, – like in this corner bullets in this corner beaks and that's probably <laughs> that probably would have been my um my title <laughs> i love it yeah <laughs> cuz who would you expect to win a bird or a bullet a bullet yeah but no a bullet the birds won but it took it took 10 bullets to bring down one bird. Australia, we see you. We appreciate you. Don't let this be an embarrassing moment for you. Wow. All right. So that was a little bit of a shorter episode, but I figured it'd be nice after last episode's nearly hour-long length. <laughs> a little bit of a palate cleanser, something a little yeah. bit more fun. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit bashing on Australia. It's fine. Yeah, just their just their military tactics. <laughs> but as always remember but remember truth is stranger than fiction and in this case history is a whole hell of a lot weirder than you'd think Fuck.